Okay, now, just for a warning, once again, as stated in the beginning of the message, I'm going to remind you, this message is a message with some pretty heavy content that is not appropriate for young ears. So, if you do have young ones about, once again, this is a reminder to be listening either to this message in private or get the young ones out of sound range, please. All right, now we are going to get into two comparative scriptures here about the topic here in the law that talk about thou shalt not commit adultery. As we know, these are just directive. They're not telling you anything about what adultery is. It only just tells you you shouldn't do something. The first is found in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And the next scripture we already know will be in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, but the verse is verse 18. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 18. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 18. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 18. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay. Now, do you see it? Both of those, all they say is basically you should not commit adultery. And as we already saw, you're not supposed to desire in the same law. It says you're not supposed to desire or covet or lust after your neighbor's wife. Hello. So, and then in Psalms, we already saw that doing so is the same and it's just as bad as, just as bad as just being in cahoots with somebody who's doing the stealing even though you yourself did not do the theft. That's how God takes adultery when you're, it, when you're partaking in it. When you're partaking in adultery, when you're doing the act of adultery, Messing with your neighbor's wife, whatever. It's And notice I say wife or husband. It's just as bad as when you, as if you had been an accessory to theft. Even though you didn't do the stealing, it'd be like you sitting outside of a bank driving a car, you're the driver, even though you were not in the bank holding the gun. You're just as bad. That's what God said. Well, I would never do that. I wouldn't help a bank. Right. Well, God says you're just as bad. Hello, Dr. Broadbottom. That's what it says. Read your Bible. That's what it said. But it did not say... It was a young boy who was unmarried with a girl who is unmarried and they had sexual relations. No, didn't say that. It said one of them was married. 
read it, and weep. Get out your King James. Okay, now, what does Jesus have to say about thou shalt not commit adultery? What does Jesus take on it or view on it? Well, there are four comparative texts or scriptures where Jesus very clearly tells us his opinion, his view, or his side of the coin. The first, let's take a look in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Okay, the second one, the second scripture on Jesus' view of thou shalt not commit adultery, or his opinion on that, is found in Matthew. Matthew chapter 19, we just go a few chapters from where we just were. Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coasts of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh? Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement, and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. His disciples say unto him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, 
let him receive it. Our third, our third of the scriptures, of the comparison verses about what Jesus' opinion on adultery is, is found in Mark. Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. 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 And he arose from thence and cometh into the coasts of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Tempting him. And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house his disciples asked him again of the same matter. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Now our last text, our last comparative verse of the four is found in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 verses 14 to 18. Luke chapter 16, verses 14 to 18. Luke chapter 16, verses 14 to 18. And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John, since that time the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. Whosoever putteth away his wife, and marrieth another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband, committeth adultery. Okay, now after looking at all those, do you notice some common ground here? Well, I do. <laughs> God has something to say here. Jesus has something to say here. He makes three common points. The first one is, well, he sure enough wasn't saying, well, if you just happen to say that a woman looks good because you're giving her a compliment that you're committing adultery. No, he was saying that if you're lusting, he was referring back to what we found in the law. Desire, lust. Get it straight, Dr. Broadbottom. Get it straight, those that follow Dr. Broadbottom, Professor Dr. Broadbottom at Baylor University. Get it straight. It is if you're lusting, you're highly desiring the opposite sex to have sexual relations with somebody who is, quote, married, unquote. Or if you are, quote, married, unquote, 
and desiring someone of the opposite sex, whether they are married or not, and you are married, then you're committing adultery. Just the fact that you're desiring to, you're committing adultery in your heart. That's what Jesus is saying. But the fact, if you are desiring to have a relationship with somebody and you are, quote, unmarried, unquote, and they are, quote, unmarried, unquote, and you are desiring to have a relationship and get involved with somebody, doesn't make you an adulterer. That isn't what Jesus said. What he's saying is, if you have lustful thoughts, it is, yes, it is in your flesh. You are going to have lustful thoughts. We're later going to find what Paul said on that issue. If you cannot contain, it is better to marry than to burn. We'll get to that point eventually here. And that's because it comes back to what Jesus was saying. If you cannot contain and you're unmarried and they are unmarried, get married. Then you don't have to worry about the problem. Duh. Professor Broadbottom. It's pretty obvious. But if they are married and you are unmarried, we'll get into that too. Okay? But the fact is that... If you're not married, find somebody who is not married. Get married, okay? But that's point number one. Number two, it says Jesus made it plain that he was talking to these people, and he said, look, they say they're trying to nitpick him apart, and they say, well, Moses told us to write a bill of divorcement. Now, women, Jesus had to refer them back to as like all those that follow Dr. Broadbottom like to do, all the time try to bring you back to Adam and Eve. Well, that's a nice point that Jesus in this time had a good reason to. In the beginning, well, yes, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, and not Eve and Juliet or Janet, whatever, they were made perfect at the beginning. And they had perfect emotions. So, of course, they were not going to have a bad relationship. Of course, they weren't going to want to be divorced. However, after the fall, they also, their emotions went straight down the toilet. And thus, guess what happened? Divorces became rampant. Of course, they started having lustful thoughts after the fall. And that's what Jesus said. Thus, you had to write a bill of divorcement because things started going right down the trash can and right down the toilet bowl, right down the drain. That's why. And so, of course, God, knowing that, said, look, you're going to, of course, have to have a way out. And God wasn't stupid. He wasn't going to let people stay in a relationship that he knew was harmful. So he suffered you to write a bill of divorcement. Don't make God out to be stupid. But he said originally that wasn't originally the way it was meant. Just like hell was never meant 
for people. It was meant for the devil and his angels. But hell ended up being a place to send and allow people to go to because they chose to go to hell. Okay? Get it straight. They choose to go to hell of their own choice, just like you choose to get divorced. But it wasn't originally God's plan. Okay? Then finally, there was one point. You notice it wasn't in any other text but Matthew 19. Look at the very bottom, verse 12. He said, now this saying wasn't meant for those except for those who would receive it. We're going to come back to that later in this message as well. When we come to 1 Corinthians 7, which we will be talking about. He said, there are those who were born eunuchs of their mother's womb. Then there were those who were born eunuchs. Those were made eunuchs of men's sake. And then there were those who made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Now, first, what is a eunuch? A eunuch is the person who cannot have sexual relations or will not have sexual relations for some reason. That's what a eunuch is. Now, okay, we know what a person is when they're a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Obvious. Today we call them nuns or priests or people that go to church and have chosen not to have sexual relations because of religious convictions. Eunuchs. Okay, a good example. Well, obviously that would be today, but what about back in the Bible day? I'll give you one name. You'll remember it. P-A-U-L. The Apostle Paul. He said, I wish all men were even as I. Hmm, eunuch. He was a eunuch. Paul was a eunuch for Christ. He was made a eunuch because God asked him to be a eunuch. Now, then there were those who were born eunuchs. Now, how could a person be born a eunuch? Do, 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 do. I'm not much for watching game shows, but let's play one. Jeopardy. Anybody know the answer? I'll give you a hint. Does the word birth defects ring a bell? Yes. And my wife may not like me bringing up this point, but she almost ended up a eunuch. But thankfully, and it was painful for her, and I'm not going to get into personal information in this series because that's between her, the Lord, and the fence post, okay, plus me, but that's it. But the fact is, she almost ended up a eunuch from birth. But thankfully, the doctors knew what to do to help her out so that at least up to a certain point, she was able to take care of certain things, but had they not known what to do, she could have been a eunuch from birth. It was painful for her as a young girl, but for many years she had a problem that had they not known what to do and did what they did, she could have been a eunuch. Birth defects. 
Then there are those who are made eunuchs of men. Now, how could that possibly be? Uh, has anybody heard of injuries? Has anybody heard of wars? Hmm. Yes. See, Jesus was saying to those whom will receive this saying, let him receive it. Now, why did he go on to say that? Well, later, we will go and discuss that part of this verse later. But just keep your mind at verse 12 later when we come back to that, okay? But there's a reason that Jesus kind of mentions about eunuchs. There's a purpose in that verse. All right, now what does the Bible have to say about committing adultery with neighbors' wives? Neighbors' wives. Well, let's take a look in Jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 21 through 23. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 21 through 23. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 21 through 23. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, of Ahab the son of Coliah, and of Zedekiah the son of Maasiah, which prophesy a lie unto you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. And of them shall be taken up a curse by all the captivity of Judah, which are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make thee like Zedekiah and like Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Because they have committed villainy in Israel, and have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Even I know, and am a witness, saith the Lord. <laughs> well, guess what? One of these names will sound familiar to you. <laughs> Look who is committing adultery with neighbors' wives. And God wasn't too happy about it. Yep, good old Ahab, as well as Zedekiah, they're committing adultery with neighbors' wives. And God says he's going to turn them over to the king of Babylon. And they're going to get their hides judged. God is going to use the king of Babylon, who is an unsaved man, to judge them. So that proves once again that what? Neighbors, quote, wives, unquote. These women were married, and these guys were committing adultery with married, quote, married, unquote, Women. So, once again, adultery, once again, dealing with people that are married, not unmarried people. That's what adultery is. Okay, now we have three comparative verses that deal with almost the same kind of subject. Yep, someone messing with someone's wife, and this time it's in the New Testament. Three comparative verses that deal with, yep, good old Herod messing with his brother's wife. And who does the speaking out? None other than John the Baptist. And he's saying, Herod, why are you messing with your brother Philip's wife? 
And let's take a look at all three comparative verses, and we'll talk about it afterward. The first found in Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14, verse 3. Matthew chapter 14, verse 3. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 3. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. Okay, the next scripture we want you to look into is Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verses 16 to 20. Mark chapter 6, verses 16 to 20. Mark chapter 6, verses 16 to 20. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and unholy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Okay, and the last one. Let's take a look in Luke chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Luke chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Luke chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. All right, and now do you get it? Oh, yeah, John the Baptist speaks out to Herod. <laughs> Doesn't like it. Says, well, I have this right. I should be able to take her, even though she's married. I want her for my wife, even though she's married to somebody else. Now, we'll be getting into down a little later here about multiple wives, okay? And multiple mates. We will be discussing multiple mates here, okay? Because, yes, the Mormon church does teach in the FLDS, Fundamentalist Latter-day Saints. There's a sect of the Mormon church called the Fundamentalist Latter-day Saints who teach and the, which is the original sect of the Latter-day Latter Saints Church who taught multiple wives. So we need to ask ourselves, and since the Bible does talk about multiple wives, we need to ask ourselves, is it biblical to have multiple partners? Okay? So, in, and as we see here, obviously, someone believed that obviously right there proves that even in the New Testament that someone believed that a woman should have multiple husbands. Well, is it biblical? Well, we will be getting into that, okay? But right at this time, no. But in this situation, we find I am going to touch on it just this point. If the woman already had a husband, she had a husband, okay? And obviously, there was no reason for her 
to leave her husband because obviously there was nothing wrong with her husband. There was no biblical reason. Obviously, Herodias, her husband, there was nothing physically wrong with him, spiritually wrong with him, obviously, that John the Baptist was able to point to to say, look, okay, okay, Herodias being the woman, Herodias, there's nothing wrong with you, uh, you or your husband, Philip, Herod, that you should want your brother Philip's wife, Herodias. There's nothing wrong with him. There's nothing wrong with Philip. Why physically, if there was nothing wrong with him, then why should you take her as your wife? So why should she have two husbands? There's nothing wrong with him, obviously. So, in this case, John the Baptist was saying, hold it. In this case, she'd be committing adultery. And this is a text that some people would point to, especially Dr. Broadbottom and some of the nitpickers of the church would say, well, see, here it proves. Now, wait a minute. Before we get to that, Let's not try to real quickly judge what God has to say. We are going to look at all the verses in the Bible to find out if that is always the case. Okay? We're going to let God speak for himself. Because this isolated text or sets of texts about Herodias and John the Baptist... We cannot use only as our only text. We have to look at the whole Bible, not just isolated sets of text to say, well, no, wait a minute. We need to understand there's more to the Bible than just one few sets of text. So let's see what the rest of God's word has to say, not just this text. But we can see that obviously there was nothing wrong with Philip that John the Baptist was able to say, wait a minute. Herod, there's nothing wrong with your brother Philip that you should be wanting his wife. So, uh, Herodias, which is the woman, Herodias, go back to your husband and leave Herod alone. Stick with your husband, is what he was trying to say. And that's what the Bible is saying here. All right. Well, now speaking of the law... And the Old Testament law in specific, everybody likes that. And they want to say, okay, well, okay, boys, and Dr. Broadbottom in particular, and those who follow him, then let's take a look at the Old Testament law, and let's see if there's more to it than just, thou shalt not commit adultery. Is there more about it than just that? Well, let me tell you something. There's a lot more to the law than just that. That talks about wives, husbands, and their conduct. In fact, there's so much about it that you would be shocked. And we're going to find out through this study what God really has to say. In fact, the first one is... The first part that we're going to study 
First, we're going to read the Old Testament law. Then we're going to see what Jesus referred to. And then we're going to find out why Jesus wrote in the sand. And maybe even possibly what he wrote in the sand. Although we're not going to go past the scripture, but we could speculate a little bit. And I think maybe, <laughs> I think him being the word of God, I think he, I have a pretty good idea of what he may have wrote. I'll give a couple ideas, but we're just going to speculate. But first, Leviticus, let's take a look in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. Okay, now did you get that? It said, if you catch a man or a woman in the act, act, of adultery. You're supposed to take the man and the woman. Both. B-O-T-H. Both of them outside the city and rock them both. B-O-T-H. Both of them to sleep. Give them a rock concert in their honor. And I'm not talking about Led Zeppelin or ACDC. We are talking the cement clod type. Okay? We're talking hard rock. Hard concrete type. Okay? We are talking the kind it kill. That's what we're talking about. And we're not talking about let one of them escape and get away with it scot-free. We're talking both of them were rocked to sleep. Okay? They were both killed by stoning. And we're not talking with dope, you know. No, they weren't stoned that way. We're talking about literally rocked to sleep. Okay? So, now, I want you to pay attention to what that just said as we get ready to take a look at our next text that happened in Jesus' day, because Jesus refers to this very same text of the law. Okay, now, our next text, as I mentioned, has to do with Jesus. And Jesus' confrontation with the old Pharisees and Sadducees, the buzzards. We find this in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. 
So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. All right. Now, do you catch that? <laughs> yeah, you'd notice it. The old buzzard baits. The Pharisees and Sadducees. <laughs> what do they do? They bring this woman caught in the act of adultery. Now, and what do they do? They bring her at Jesus' feet. First off, you could guarantee they didn't give her a chance to be dressed. But naked, you can guarantee that. And you notice, just like anybody that's guilty of something, if it's a liar, oh, well, I don't like it when you lie to me. First one to accuse anybody of something else. If they're a gossip, they're the first one to bring up that how everyone else gossips, whatever. You notice that. Well, these guys, what do they do? They bring up the Levitical law on adultery in Leviticus chapter 20. They're the one to bring up it. And they say, Master. Now, wait a minute. You want to talk about blasphemy? Here it is. Taking the name's Lord and Lord's name in vain. Here it is. Master. And they didn't believe he was his ma their master anyway. And they say, Master, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, wait a minute. Where's the dude? <laughs> you notice I'm putting in today's terminology. Where's the dude? <laughs> I'm a little worldly, ain't I? No, I'm not worldly. I'm just talking the way most people. Where's the guy? Where's the dude? Hey, man, where's the dude? Leviticus chapter 20, as we just read, it says you're supposed to have the man and the woman take them both outside the city and stone them. Uh, where's the dude? Even Jesus knew that much about the law. And so Jesus, and they say, well, what are we supposed to do? He's, you you want to you fix a self-righteous hypocrite? Jesus knew how to take care of it. He started writing the dirt. Now, most people say, well, what was he writing? Now, we could speculate. We don't know exactly what he wrote, but I think I have a pretty good idea. Of all the possibilities out there, here's what I believe it was. What was Jesus? He was the Word of God, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So if Jesus was the Word in human flesh, isn't it possible he already knew that Word inside out? So what did he do? I believe what he wrote in that ground was that very Scripture that they were referring to, and he was going to point to them and show them their error. 
He was going to, because as you notice, many times he always referred them back to the Old Testament law, like, thou shalt not commit adultery. And he'd say, well, but I say unto you, he that looks upon a woman, as we've already saw. Well, in this case, he said, okay, you want to talk about adultery? You want to talk about this Levitical law? All right, here's what it really says. If a man and woman are caught in the act of a, when you find a, someone in the act of adultery, you take the man and the woman. And I believe what he did is just at the point where it says, you take the man. And I believe he paused as he's writing this out. And I believe he took in the Torah, he wrote down as he's writing it. He gives the reference. And then he gets right to where it says the man. I believe he paused right there. And as he's right at the end of the word man, he's got his finger in the dirt and he stops. And he looks at each one deep into their eyes with this question, where is he? Where is he? You brought the woman, now where's the man? I don't see the man. I see the woman, but no man. You ain't got this verse fulfilled. Then he continues, and you bring them both. And he stops at the end of the word both. And once again, looking at him. By this time, they're all under conviction because they realize, wait a minute, we're not fulfilling this law. And they drop their rocks and split. Now, I believe that's the most plausible solution to that verse. And to that, what he was writing in the sand. Now, of course, a lot of other people speculate he could have been writing down the names of all their girlfriends that they went and committed adultery with, or the dates that they went and saw this very same woman. It could have been. It doesn't say what he wrote in the dirt. But my belief, knowing that Jesus is the Word of God in human flesh, I believe he was actually writing this text out in Leviticus, and he was making sure he paused at that very point and showed them, look, you aren't even fulfilling this law at all. And that's why they dropped their rocks and split, because they could not accuse her because they were not fulfilling that law. And he was like saying, look, if you don't fulfill bringing the dude, you are breaking this law so you are lawbreakers yourself. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. They want to break that law themselves. My question is, I have to ask, where was the dude? Where was the dude? My speculation is, you know what? Most likely, it was one of them in that crowd of Pharisees that was the dude that was with her at that very moment, and he had kind of set her up they knew that he'd be with her that very day because it wasn't it interesting they caught her in the very act. Most women that are in the act of adultery would not have been caught. It's highly unlikely, and especially by a bunch of Pharisees. So something tells me that it was a Pharisee himself, and they finally knew when she would be there, and especially that Jesus would be in the area. So they caught her, and then this guy had enough time to get his clothes on and then get over there, and here she is still butt naked. That's what's interesting about the story. So I believe 
that that's what happened. It was one of them. That's who the dude was. And that's why he was able to sneak in the crowd. And I believe that Jesus was saying, yeah, where's the dude? And I know where the dude is. He was able to look at every one of them and say, I know where the dude is. He's right there amongst you. And that's why you're not wanting to convict a dude because you'd have to convict one of your own, you dirty, rotten buzzard baits. And that's the same thing with Dr. Broadbottom. Dr. Broadbottom at Baylor University, he doesn't want to convict himself because he knows he twists too many verses, twists too much of the Bible. And that's what's common all too many times. He'll take only his favorite passages and then throw out the parts he doesn't want. Just like they did right here with Leviticus. They take only a certain part and they throw the rest of it from the law out. See, but the Bible has it very clear. It was very clear and Jesus knew what the word had to say. And that's what we're trying to do in this study. It may be long. It may be long and it may be tedious and you may get bored, you snobs. But we're going to look at the whole Bible and not your favorite passages. We're going to look at the whole thing and see what really God has to say about his word and the law on adultery, marriage, and sex. Oh, now for some real fun. Time to really have Dr. Broadbottom with tears in his eyes and all those that follow him. Because it's time to deal with another problem. Another issue that they love to preach on. Another doctrine issue that they love to harp on. Mixed bathing. I know. What's that got to do with it? Okay. They say it's sinful. If a man, because obviously later, we're, you know, because of the issue that Jesus said, if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, and they get all that garbage because, well, obviously, if a man is in a swimming pool and sees a woman in her bathing suit or out in the lake swimming, and they get all that issue because of mixed bathing. Well, and they get it from the law, the Old Testament law. And it is in reference to uncovering your family members, wife, wives, or wives' nakedness. Well, let's take a look at these. There's five comparative scriptures referring to this very law. And let's see what it really says. And see if it has anything to do with mixed bathing or swimming. Okay? See if it really has anything to do with that. The first one is found in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18, verses 6 through 20. Leviticus chapter 18, verses 6 through 20. Leviticus chapter 18, verses 6 through 20. None of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. The nakedness of thy father or the nakedness of thy mother shalt thou not uncover. She is thy mother. Thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of thy father's wife shalt thou not uncover. It is thy father's nakedness. 
the nakedness of thy sister, the daughter of thy father, or daughter of thy mother, whether she be born at home or born abroad, even their nakedness thou shalt not uncover. The nakedness of thy son's daughter, or of thy daughter's daughter, even their nakedness thou shalt not uncover, for theirs is thine own nakedness. The nakedness of thy father's wife's daughter, begotten of thy father, she is thy sister, thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy father's sister, she is thy father's near kinswoman. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy mother's sister, for she is thy mother's near kinswoman. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy father's brother. Thou shalt not approach to his wife, she is thine aunt. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy daughter-in-law, she is thy son's wife. Thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy brother's wife, it is thy brother's nakedness. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter, neither shalt thou take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness, for they are her near kinswomen. It is wickedness. Neither shalt thou take a wife to her sister, to vex her, to uncover her nakedness beside the other in her lifetime. Also thou shalt not approach unto a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is put apart for her uncleanness. Moreover, thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife to defile thyself with her. Now, the second one we find, second comparative about this issue, we find is in Leviticus, once again, Leviticus chapter 20, Leviticus chapter 20, verses 11 through 21. Leviticus chapter 20, verses 11 through 21. Leviticus chapter 20, verses 11 through 21. And the man that lieth with his father's wife hath uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. And if a man lie with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have wrought confusion. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. And if a man take a wife and her mother, it is wickedness. They shall be burnt with fire, both he and they, that there be no wickedness among you. And if a man lie with a beast, he shall surely be put to death, and ye shall slay the beast. And if a woman approach unto any beast and lie down thereto, thou shalt kill the woman and the beast. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. And if a man shall take his sister, his father's daughter or his mother's daughter, and see her nakedness and she see his nakedness, it is a wicked thing, and they shall be cut off in the sight of their people. He hath uncovered his sister's nakedness. He shall bear his iniquity. And if a man shall lie with a woman having her sickness, and shall uncover her nakedness, he hath discovered her fountain, and she hath uncovered the fountain of her blood, and both of them shall be cut off from among their people. And thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy mother's sister, nor of thy father's sister, for he uncovereth his near kin. They shall bear their iniquity. And if a man shall lie with his uncle's wife, he hath uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. And if a man shall take his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He hath uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. <laughs> the next one, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 30. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 30. Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 30. A man shall not take his father's wife, nor discover his father's skirt. 
Now, the last two of these comparative verses are in the same chapter. Same chapter. The first is found in Deuteronomy chapter 27. Deuteronomy chapter 27. And it's found in verse 20. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 20. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 20. Lieth with his, fa lieth with his father's wife, because he uncovereth his father's skirt. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that lieth with his lieth with his father's wife, because he uncovereth his father's skirt, and all the people shall say, Amen. And last one, last comparative verse here that we find of the five, it once again is found in Deuteronomy chapter 27, but we drop just two verses to verse 22, Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 22, Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 22. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 22. Cursed be he that lieth with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. <laughs> okay, Dr. Broadbottom. It's time to crack you. And his followers, time for you to get the message. If you haven't gotten it by now from these comparative verses then you're blinder than I am. And it's time for you to go learn Braille. Either that or open your thick ears and listen to Alexander Scorby as he what he just read. It's painfully obvious. He's not talking about bathing suits and mixed bathing. He's talking about, it's obvious, he says, if he lies... That's talking about sex! S-E-X. Get it through your thick skull. This is not talking about mixed bathing, jumping in a pool of water. This is talking about intercourse, sex. You don't need it any plainer than that. This is talking about plain out sex, intercourse. When they tango, get it? It don't take a genius. All it takes is good, honest Bible reading to get this. This is not talking about mixed bathing. This is talking about sex. Of course, we'll be coming back to this in part two because that's a, the part we're talking about sex again. So, of course, we'll be covering this again. Maybe it'll get through your thick skull by then. This is not talking about mixed bathing. This is talking about playing out sex when the two of them hop in a bed and make out. This is not talking about two people in their bathing suits and swimming. This is talking about sex, plain and simple. It don't take rocket science to get this. So, Dr. Broadbottom Quit twisting the Bible to your own liking just because you don't want a man and a woman in a swimming pool together. This is the kind of garbage that was taught in the Puritan and the Victorian eras when they didn't want men and women in a pool of water together because of your high ideals and high moral standards. Get over it. I have no problem with living decent but when you're so nitpicky that you got to have 
everybody so dressed up that you can't see any part of their body. Give me a break. Look, a woman is going to get raped even if she's got every inch of her body covered except her nose. A man, if he wants to lust after a woman, he'll have her undressed inside of his head no matter how much clothes she's got on. You might as well get your head out, your, out of the sand and get your head screwed on straight. Lust is lust no matter how much a woman's got on or don't. That's what Jesus was talking about when he says if a man lusts upon a woman to lust after her, it didn't say how much clothes she had on. So it has nothing to do, just like here, has nothing to do with mixed bathing. It has to do with a man and a woman hopping in the same bed together, and they're related. That's what this is about. They're hopping in the bed together, and they're related. That's what these texts of Scripture were talking about, Dr. Broadbottom. So get it through your thick skull. Okay, now... Let's get into something really interesting. What do you do? What does the guy do? What does the Bible say about that the guy has to do? If he gets jealous, he thinks his wife is cheating on him. So he gets jealous. Okay? He gets jealous. Is there a law, a biblical law? If he gets jealous, he thinks his wife has been cheating on him? Huh? Well, yes. Yes, there's a law on that, you snobs. For you women, you, you women like to get jealous, you know? There's a law on that, okay? Did you know the man in the Bible could have tested you to see if you were really cheating? Oh, yeah. Let's see what it says. There's the law of jealousies concerning a wife. We find that in Numbers chapter 5, verses 11 to 31. Numbers chapter 5, verses 11 to 31. Numbers chapter 5, verses 11 to 31. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man's wife go aside, and commit a trespass against him, and a man lie with her carnally, and it be hid from the eyes of her husband, and be kept close, and she be defiled, and there be no witness against her, neither she be taken with the manner. And the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be defiled. Or if the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be not defiled, then shall the man bring his wife unto the priest, and he shall bring her offering for her, the tenth part of an ephah of barley meal. He shall pour no oil upon it, nor put frankincense thereon, for it is an offering of jealousy, an offering of memorial, bringing iniquity to remembrance. And the priest shall bring her near, and set her before the Lord. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel. And of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it into the water. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and uncover the woman's head and put the offering of memorial in her hands, which is the jealousy offering. And the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that causeth the curse. And the priest shall charge her by an oath and say unto the woman, If no man have lain with thee, 
And if thou hast not gone aside to uncleanness with another instead of thy husband, be thou free from this bitter water that causeth the curse. But if thou hast gone aside to another instead of thy husband, and if thou be defiled, and some man have lain with thee beside thine husband, then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing, and the priest shall say unto the woman, The Lord make thee a curse and an oath among thy people, when the Lord doth make thy thigh to rot and thy belly to swell. And this water that causeth the curse shall go into thy bowels to make thy belly to swell and thy thigh to rot. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. And the priest shall write these curses in a book, and he shall blot them out with the bitter water. And he shall cause the woman to drink the bitter water that causeth the curse. And the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter. Then the priest shall take the jealousy offering out of the woman's hand, and shall wave the offering before the Lord, and offer it upon the altar. And the priest shall take an handful of the offering, even the memorial thereof, and burn it upon the altar, and afterward shall cause the woman to drink the water. And when he hath made her to drink the water, then it shall come to pass that if she be defiled and have done trespass against her husband, that the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter, and her belly shall swell, and her thigh shall rot, and the woman shall be a curse among her people. And if the woman be not defiled, but be clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive seed. This is the law of jealousies, when a wife goeth aside to another instead of her husband and is defiled or when the spirit of jealousy cometh upon him, and he be jealous over his wife, and shall set the woman before the Lord, and the priest shall execute upon her all this law. Then shall the man be guiltless from iniquity, and this woman shall bear her iniquity. Ick! Can you imagine that? Having to drink that bitter water? Well, you notice, they had to. Ladies, it says... That here, if you are committing adultery against your husband, that you would have had to drink this bitter water. It was a water produced by the holy water. And not we're talking about some stuff from the Catholic Church either. It was water that was sanctified by the priest by a certain ceremony in the Jewish temple that was set aside for certain purposes. And this is one of them. To test the women. And it was mixed with the dust of the ground from the temple. Now the temple was a sanctified place. A set apart place. And it was mixed with the dust of that. Now obviously he didn't turn it into mud. No, just a light coating, just a little bit, just enough to do the job. To test. To see if the woman had been committing fornication and or adultery. Now, if she had been, God would test her. If not, she would pass unscathed. Now, you know what I really believe? I believe the door hinged both ways in this. Even though there is not one verse, one text that said there was a test for the man if he was committing adultery. But I believe, I believe it was both ways. 
Because remember, the law also stated, as we've already read, it said if a man and a woman were committing adultery, they were both supposed to be taken outside the city. So I think God meant this to be both ways. Why? Because if you noticed, God didn't hold adultery for the man any less guiltless than he did for the woman. So I believe there was the same test held true for the man as it did for the woman here. Why? Because it was obvious. Why would he only have the test only for the woman and let the man escape unscathed? I believe that if the woman was jealous of her husband, she could have had the same test performed on her hubby. <laughs> so men, you weren't so you weren't so uh free from this test either. So how would you like to have that test performed on you at church? Huh? How'd you like to have the preacher come up and say, All right, buddy, I hear you're messing around. It's time to have you have a little test. Let's have a little water that is uh, kind of taste a little icky. As my wife would say, a little icky. A little bitter water, huh? A lot of us wouldn't like that. Well, God said that's the way it had to be. The law of jealousies. The old icky water. The icky water test. Okay, now let's ask a question. Have you ever considered what the law or the rules were if you were like Aaron and wanted to take a wife? If you were a priest, one of the priesthood of the Jewish priesthood and wanted to take a wife. Was there rules? Why, certainly there was Levitical laws and rules. In the Jewish law, there were rules. Yes, there were. Well, what were they? Well, it was laid down. Leviticus chapter 21, verses 1 through 15. Leviticus chapter 21, 1 through 15. Leviticus chapter 21, verses 1 through 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say unto them, There shall none be defiled for the dead among his people, but for his kin that is near unto him, that is, for his mother and for his father, and for his son and for his daughter, and for his brother and for his sister a virgin that is nigh unto him, which hath had no husband, for her may he be defiled. But he shall not defile himself, being a chief man among his people, to profane himself. They shall not make baldness upon their head, neither shall they shave off the corner of their beard, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. They shall be holy unto their God, and not profane the name of their God. For the offerings of the Lord made by fire, and the bread of their God they do offer, therefore they shall be holy. They shall not take a wife that is a whore or profane, Neither shall they take a woman put away from her husband, for he is holy unto his God. Thou shalt sanctify him, therefore, for he offereth the bread of thy God. He shall be holy unto thee, for I, the Lord, which sanctify you, am holy. And the daughter of any priest, if she profane herself by playing the whore, she profaneth her father. She shall be burnt with fire. And he that is the high priest among his brethren, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garments, 
shall not uncover his head nor rend his clothes. Neither shall he go into any dead body nor defile himself for his father or for his mother. Neither shall he go out of the sanctuary nor profane the sanctuary of his God. For the crown of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced woman or profane or an harlot, these shall he not take, but he shall take a virgin of his own people to wife. Neither shall he profane his seed among his people, for I, the Lord, do sanctify him. <laughs> Ooh, there's some heavy stuff. Do you catch that? There's some heavy stuff there. Uh, first off, if you were just a regular priest, a regular, what we would call preacher today, or priest then, regular priest, well, you could defile yourself for a regular family member. But, you know, someone that was real close to you, like your mama or whatever, but someone further away, you couldn't. A cousin, whatever, uh-uh. Now, if you were the high priest, however, Oh, no. Sorry, Mama. Sorry, brother. Sorry, sister. I can't go to your funeral. If I'm the high priest, and hello, Caiaphas. You could tell he was, uh, it was political. And his position was political by the Romans, and it was not by the Jewish law. Did you catch what it said there? Uh, he was not supposed to rend or rip his garments. Hello, Caiaphas. Hello, Caiaphas. <laughs> he did what was against the law, scripturally. And then, now, did you see what kind of wife he was supposed to have? Hello, preachers. How would you like to his job? <laughs> Imagine this day and age trying to find a wife being the high priest. Most women of today are not virgins. <laughs> Imagine if you were the high priest trying to find a virgin. <laughs> do, 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 do. Talk about a tough one. It's hard enough to find a, a good wife, let alone a virgin. <laughs> That's <one's> tough. <laughs> and then imagine trying to raise up your daughters. It says if you're if you're the high priest and your daughter ends up a whore. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Oops. There's some heavy responsibility being a priest, a Levite priest, as a Jewish high priest. Being a priest was toughen up, but being the high priest, ooh, Lordy, help us. There was some heavy consequences being the wife of a priest back then was heavy too 
See, you could tell that women, you had some, back then, if you were a, a wife of a priest, you had some responsibilities, just as they did. It was some heavy, heavy stuff. <laughs> 